one of us lived up to our potential and managed our resources so well that we could provide for ourselves, our families, and our communities in a meaningful and substantial way. Join Step Right with Lynn, the show dedicated to empowering socially conscious individuals to manage their financial resources for the benefit of themselves, their families, and the greater community. Here's Lynn Wedham, Certified Financial Planner and Managing Partner at Step Right Capital Planning. Welcome, welcome. It's Wednesday, June the 10th. We've got a great show planned for you. It's called In Pursuit of the Good Life, and my guest is Alyssa Light. Uh, I'd like to remind you also about the workshops that uh, Lisa Rayom and I will be presenting on the topic of financial fitness. Uh, there's still time to register for this. Uh, Lisa and I will be offering the workshop focusing on the principles that lead to financial success on Wednesday, June the 17th, over the lunch uh, hour at Johnny Rocco's in Kitchener. So give me a shout if you'd like more information about the workshop or if you'd like to discuss whether it's an appropriate thing for you or for someone you know. You can email me at lynn at stepright.ca, that's L-Y-N-N at stepright, S-T-E-P-R-I-G-H-T dot C-A, or call me at 519-448-3477. That's 519-448-3477. It's the age-old question, does money buy happiness? Everywhere we look, we're encouraged to place great value on the accumulation of stuff. We even feel judged by our ability to own nice things. Alyssa Light is going to help us bring new perspective to this absurdity. She even hints at a system, and I'm very interested in how this can help us. Alyssa Light works with teams who want to escalate performance, generate more victories, and avoid communication breakdowns. Alyssa has had every eclectic job in the book, shoe shiner, goldsmith, creative instructor, makeshift interpreter, and program director at a children's camp. She became addicted to the spirit of entrepreneurialism at the ripe old age of 11 when she glued fur to rocks and made $200 at her Christmas fair. At 17, she won a provincial government summer company award and started a jewelry business. During her time as a student at Georgian College, she made the 20th anniversary gifts for Blue Rodeo. Alyssa spent 15 years in nonprofit while working on entrepreneurial adventures. The time she spent providing palliative home care for patients were some of her best. Alyssa learned that regret is worse than failure, and the only place where success comes before work is in the dictionary. Alyssa is fluent in a language many people have on their bucket list to learn. Alyssa is proud of her creative, passion, resourcefulness. She has an uncanny ability to bring people together, to build networks, and exceed goals. Welcome, Alyssa. Thank you so much. Thank you for that introduction, Lynn. Uh, and when I speak about the introduction, um, most of it I understood. The mystery was, um, it says you're fluent in a language that many have on their bucket list. Tell us about that. What is it and how did you get interested in learning it? So when I learned how to speak ASL, which is American Sign Language, I knew very little sign. Aside from the alphabet, I had maybe 30 or 40 signs, and that was about my limit. And I walked into the deaf community after uh, being offered a job as a sensory exploration arts coordinator for deaf adults with special needs, and they didn't give me mm -hmm. an interpreter. 
So oh. uh, day one, I worked with uh, everybody. I worked with was deaf, uh, aside from one other person or two other people, and it was learn the language or don't have a job and don't be able mm. to communicate. And so I mm-hmm. made the choice right off that I would throw myself at the language no matter what it took. And there were some very funny moments, Lynn. I introduced myself horribly a couple of times and uh, definitely uh-huh. said the wrong thing. But uh-huh. through through making those mistakes, really learned that it's the experience of learning the language that is a lot of fun, not just being able to use it. Okay. So I'm I'm curious. Tell us a little bit more about these mistakes. <laughs> well, I'm not going to swear on the air, but I was at a board <laughs> meeting one day and introduced myself as, hello, my name is a-hole by accident. And <laughs> there was uh, the executive director was there and the human resources uh, manager and all of our team leaders and supervisors were all there and uh, most of them were deaf and that's what I introduced myself as and everyone had a real good laugh and I turned every shade of red you've ever seen in a tomato patch and uh, after that there were uh, gasps of horror and a whole lot of laughter and that was my introduction to uh, speaking sign in public. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I just, you know, how do you recover from that? <laughs> uh, gracefully. I think that in that moment I realized I had two choices, and that was realize or, or be okay with the fact that yeah. this was yeah. going to happen a lot or <laughs> that I could be completely embarrassed and leave. And I decided that I was going to stick with it. And there were many other mistakes, some of which I can't share on the air. Uh, but there were many other mistakes that I made. And ultimately, what the staff got to know was that they could correct me without me being embarrassed and not want to talk anymore because wow. I was really committed to learning about their culture and about their language and about making a difference for them. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's what it's all about. But certainly a humbling experience. Right? That's a diplomatic way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> and more than more than put you on a uh uh I don't know, a level level playing field, right? You it, it uh, you certainly wouldn't have had, at that point uh, have felt any superiority to Yeah, you could say that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a great story. Mm-hmm. So, so our topic today um, is the good life. Um, Alyssa, tell us what is it and what is it not? I think the good life is really about being in control of your experiences and not being caught up in the obsession of stuff, which is something that I found myself in for a long time and I didn't know what to do about it or how to get out of it and it was really embarrassing because I owned so much stuff. And it kept me, sometimes, not always, but often, kept me from really connecting with people because I was really afraid of being found out. Like, I owned hordes and hordes of stuff, and mm-hmm. I didn't want to have people over and, you know, all that stuff. Certainly the place wasn't, my, my house wasn't dirty, but it was full. And I got really tired of hearing, this is full, you know, your house is so full. And instead I, I thought about it and I went, Gee, I don't want to be like the people on TV, and I know that's where right. I'm headed. You, you don't, what? you don't want to. You didn't really want that television um, show done about you. I really, I got to tell you, as I said to you earlier before the show, my dad worked in television, and I could have those connections. I really don't want them. Um, <laughs> and and what I realized after working in uh, doing palli- palliative care for a couple of years was. Nobody lies on their deathbed wishing that they had more stuff. They all wish that they'd had more time with their grandkids or they'd finish writing a book 
or that their students at school were waiting for them. And those were the things that I decided to start collecting were those Mm -hmm. moments. And so I spent the better part of two or three years, uh, almost three years, paring down what it is that I own and then doing wonderful things with the brain space I had because the stuff that I own took up brain space. And now I have all the space to create amazing things for people and with people. And I can't tell you how much of a difference it's made in my life to choose experiences over stuff. Tell us a little a little bit more about that brain space that the stuff was taking up. So just to put it into context, I I used to have uh, our, our my apartment was a two bedroom, roughly nine hundred thousand square foot apartment, and with the mm-hmm. exception of one room, uh, the entire place was full of boxes over my head, and I couldn't cook, and there were there was stuff on one half of my queen size bed, and there was just so much stuff mm. everywhere, and I still had stuff elsewhere. Um, and I thought, this this isn't going to work. This is running my life. I hate moving, and I move a lot, mm-hmm. and i got to do something about this. Mm-hmm. And so your your space became space that you really couldn't work in. Couldn't work in, couldn't think in, because everywhere I looked there was a box or a box of, of sorry, a box or a box of thoughts to go with it. So people talk about, oh, I'm so attached to my grandmother's clock, for example, and then they get attached to an ornament, and then they suddenly all of those things add up to an entire house full of holiday supplies or a room full of holiday supplies and a house full of stuff that isn't used. I mean, the absurdity of this obsession is that we pay for storage units, and that's one of the fastest Mm -hmm. growing industries in North America. Yes. So we spend our money, and then we pay to store the stuff, and we don't look at it for years. And then yes. what happens to it? Well, it just sits there, and right. sometimes it and ends up getting auctioned off, mm-hmm. and sometimes mm-hmm. not. And then other people have to go through it, and it creates so much chaos. And yes. that's a lot of stress for someone, A, who collects stuff, and B, for people around them who are supporting that. And I have so much love and compassion and gratitude for my family because of them supporting me through moving past the stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So how did you make this change from your focus? Um, I, I know that you know there is a um, you know from the you know seeing the odd bit of an episode of you know the show the show hoarders. Um, I know there's there's a huge attachment to. Um, you know, there's. I'm. I'm sure people have all different reasons for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether you know, there's there's some fear or, um, you know, there's some space that that stuff takes out. So how do you begin a change to, you know, kind of examine the behavior, but but also, you know, we don't change behavior without sort of changing the the motivation. Yeah, absolutely. That is a fabulous question. So a few things happened. Uh, I have a cousin who for years and years was part of a group called Fly Lady, F-L-Y, Fly Lady. And I think it's flylady.com for anyone who's listening. And it's finally loving yourself. And she said, Alyssa, we can have a 27 fling boogie. And I said, pardon me? And she said, we're going to set the timer for 15 minutes and we're going to get rid of 27 things in 15 minutes. And I will take it out of the house for you. And certainly this interested me because I had a I have a wonderful friend named Stephen. He lives in Rhode Island, and he got really 
tired of owning things at one point and decided he was going to get rid of nearly everything he owned and went and just lived in the forest for a while. And certainly I wasn't interested in living in the forest with a whole bunch of people, but I was really curious and I had this craving for not owning anything, which was Ah. completely the opposite of how I was living. And so I went, okay, I went back to my cousin. I said, okay, we're going to start with my clothing. Now, I don't know if any women or men listening can relate to this, but I had a lot of clothing. And mm-hmm. I had a lot of clothing that didn't necessarily fit very well or that I was going to alter. I love sewing. So, you know, I had these big right. plans for this clothing, and it just never happened. And so I got addicted really quickly to this 15-minute timer and how mm-hmm. much I could accomplish in 15 minutes. And so we set the timer, and we got a box. And an hour later, I had gotten rid of 150 pieces of clothing and didn't know that they were gone. And that was a big step. And then the second one was a pretty personal thing to share. Uh, Jessica, my cousin that I just mentioned, and I were cleaning out some boxes, and we came to a green bag with white handles and white writing, and it had all my doll clothes in it from when I was a little girl. And my aunt had sewn a bunch of these clothes for my dolls and one of the dolls. And I hadn't looked at it. I haven't looked at it in probably 10 years. And I couldn't part with these doll clothes. And, I mean, Mm -hmm. it was a very personal experience because I was in tears. And I realized in that moment just how big the problem was. Mm -hmm. And I wondered what it would be like if I got rid of them. And I couldn't. It It was a very, very painful experience. And ultimately, I decided to keep most of what was in the bag. But that right. was a real, those were the two big turning points for me. And so mm-hmm. from there, I went and got myself a timer, and I would set my timer to do everything. I mean, I would set it to do dishes, and I would set it to do my canning, because I also love canning in the, in the uh, summertime. And I would set it for everything. And mm-hmm. that's ultimately how I got going in the process of getting rid of things and freeing so- up so much space. So when you use the timer, is it, um, do you have in your mind, I am going to accomplish such and such in 15 minutes, or are you just trying to accomplish as much as you can in the 15 minutes? Great question. I think the best answer to that is not being judgmental. I know that those weren't the options you gave me, but the biggest thing right. is looking at a project and saying, with no judgment, what let's just see where we're at in 15 minutes. What can I do in 15 minutes? Now, there are times when I need to get a project done in 15 minutes. And now, I don't know if anybody can relate to this or if you can relate to this, Lynn, but we, especially as women, often think, hey, I can get these eight things done in 15 minutes, and really every single one of those things needs half an hour. So, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I have, sometimes those things are on my list for a day, (laughs) right? I have eight things I want to do in a day, and I have, uh, you know, the, I've really underestimated the amount of time that it takes. I would Mm -hmm. say in the office, you know, returning calls, returning emails, Mm -hmm. um, those kinds of things you think Mm -hmm. are just going to take a minute, right? Yeah. But, Yep. But each one of them sort of leads to its own project almost sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, yes, I, I can I can relate. I, I'm going to say at home I don't try to be that efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, <laughs> certainly there would be room to try and mm-hmm. be that, that yeah, efficient. Yeah, and it's amazing sure. when you just try it out to see what happens. Just get curious. What would happen if I set a timer? Just get curious yeah. about it. No judgment. Just get curious and try it. 
see yeah, what happens. Just see, see what I can do in 15 minutes. That's that's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. So Absolutely. you know what? It's already time. We've seemed like we've just gotten. Uh, into our subject here today, but it's time to go for a break. So we'll do that, and we'll come back and talk more about this very soon. Is there a contribution that you dream of making? In society, planned giving seems to be presented as something you do once you're incredibly wealthy or planning your estate. Step Right with Lynn focuses on good money management and planning your contribution at every step based on the issues important to you. Learn how to expand the goodness around you and take responsibility for the issues important to you. Tune in for Step Right with Lynn every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Central Time, 7 a.m. Mountain Time, and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on A to Zen.fm. This is Step Right with Lynn. Lynn Wedham is a certified financial planner. To participate in the program today, please call toll-free in the U.S., 815-880-8255. That's 815-880-TALK. Or in Canada, 613-800-8736. Or you can Skype us at atozen.fm. You can also make the choices to ask or comment by email by sending to lynn at stepright.ca. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. I'm your host, Lynn Wedham. With me is my guest, Alyssa Light. And we've been talking about um, parting with stuff, I guess, would be uh, one way we could we could put this. Um, Alyssa, so you talk about systems, and we've talked about this, you know, this 15-minute system, which is awesome. Um, mm-hmm. Are there other systems? I think that there are. I think that just like diets, there are things that can work for anybody and that the key to any one of them is sticking with it. So trying something once isn't necessarily going to work. Trying it exhaustively sometimes does and it takes a long time to get used to things. And so being really patient with yourself and choosing to be non-judgmental and what that looks like, Lynn, is, is interrupting your thoughts that are negative. So mm-hmm. when your brain goes, knew you never were going to make it, knew you were never going to make it, you stop and go, actually, I am making it. It just doesn't look the way you think it should. And, <laughs> you know, people, often, people often think, oh, you must be crazy talking to yourself. And I'm thinking, I have a lot of control over my thoughts now because of choosing to talk back to those negative thoughts. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And so systems yeah. are, are an interesting thing, and I think you really need to see them through before you can say they either work or don't work. Yeah. I've I've learned to really question um you know when I feel a certain way to really question now well why do you feel that way? Yeah. You know um I think that I think it's very easy you know if if you're having some sort of bad feeling you know it's it's very easy to to think you know why and to just kind of spiral with it. Instead of, um, because a lot of times what's making us feel bad is not logical, mm-hmm. right? Like when you spoke back to up. your voice, right? Yep. 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 <laughs> but it did sound funny the way you the, the way you put it. It did sound like thanks for sharing. It did sound like talking yeah. to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but I Absolutely. do I do understand that it's great. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, if I can add something to that, Lynn, one of sure. the 
big pieces, I think, is when an emotion comes up, and this is something that I learned, uh, and it was a sometimes a painful learning experience, but when an emotion comes up that I'm not happy with, uh, as in it's uncomfortable, so maybe it's, mm-hmm. wow, I'm feeling really low today, or maybe it's, wow, I'm excessively happy today, or maybe it's, wow, I'm amazed with myself. And it was it was just this real... I remember experiencing a lot of extreme emotions during the time of getting rid of stuff. And instead of fending off the emotions, I would let them move through me. There's a mm-hmm. woman named Elise Malton. And if, if your uh, listeners want to go on YouTube and you Google Dr. E.R.M. Malton, she has uh, a poem online called Walk Tall Child. And it's mm-hmm. she was part of Spoken Word, um, an organization that uh, supports essentially essentially poetry out loud and that was a piece that I listened to over and over and over and over again I believe it's under the London Poetry Slam finals on YouTube and it starts about halfway through she does two poems in the same video and that one I have listened to many many a time and it has definitely taken me through some uh, some personal sort of allowances of, of this moving through emotions um, that that's mm-hmm. been a really big one for me too. So I would encourage people to go and find that. You have to do a bit of digging for it, but it's definitely worth okay. a listen. And and what's what's sort of the theme of that? It really is. Um, it really is how you know how how much gratitude are you willing to express? And mm. you know the universe. One of the lines is uh, the universe knew what it was doing when it made you. And Aww. so it it's a fabulous thing, no matter your faith or religion. Because right. if you substitute universe for God or Allah or whatever it is you believe in, there's yeah. something bigger, and that something bigger has has a hand on your back, and that mm. was a big push for me too. Great. Um, so you went through this this process. Um, obviously, it's been successful. Now you have living space that. <laughs> <laughs> that is um, much more functional for you, I assume. Well, to put it into perspective, Lynn, I, everything I own, including my furniture, will now fit in a 12 by 12 room. Wow. Yeah. 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 Everything I own, including my craft supplies, which is which Neat. was a, a big piece of what I was. Well, hoarding, yeah, that so. could. Yeah, I'm sure that one thing could could fill a house too, right? If you allowed it to. Any of those sewers who have stashes know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, So have you always been successful from that time that you you began? Uh, In the sense of, was I able to always get rid of things? Yeah, yeah. Have you always been successful or have you had some failures along the way as well? Oh, I failed along the way, absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, I just mentioned fabric and and sewing in the last segment. I really love being creative, and and, um, at one point I passed along something like eight garbage bags full of fabric. Wow. That must have have really hurt. It was painful. I I cried. Yeah. Uh, But I took it to my girlfriend, Gail, who is one of the most spectacular human beings I have ever met. And I took it to her, and she knew of organizations that sewed for uh, veterans and their families um, and for cancer patients and this sort of thing. And Mm -hmm. it was wonderful to know that 
my sort of failure of all this money I had spent and all this time I had dragged this around and all this emotional space that all this fabric took up was actually going to go and make a difference for a whole lot of people through for this sure. spectacular woman that I know. Mm-hmm. And that made it a lot easier. And so in this, in the sort of spirit of letting emotions move through me, mm-hmm. I chose to let the sadness come. And then I chose to get really excited with Gail as we went through bags and bags and bags and bags of fabric and you know some of it she chose to keep and it went into wedding quilts and baby quilts and there were wonderful things happening in her family so I knew that I had contributed in some very small way to a piece of her joy and so I I really started thinking gee I wonder if I'll ever know the end of the difference that this is making Mm -hmm. and and that has kept me going quite a bit too so in the process of getting rid of all of that and and feeling embarrassed and like a failure because I had again, spent all this money and time buying it and lugging it around and feeling guilty about it and all that jazz. Well, I, I'm sure you're feeling it, guilty because you're not finishing the project too, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was a huge piece of it for me. Yeah, um, yeah. And then a couple of times I just fell. I went back and I bought more fabric. And uh-huh. it was interesting to not judge myself, and this really took some effort, but not judge myself and move through the guilt of purchasing more. Right. And then right. consciously choosing something else instead of subconsciously or not not controlling the the thoughts of guilt and upset that I was experiencing. Yeah. So it's yeah. There's there's kind of a conundrum there because buying fabric is not an evil thing to do. <laughs> it, it is so beautiful. I can't even tell you. I, I it is the most wonderful thing on the planet. I love buying fabric. <laughs> I do. Like last year, but you know, the the greatest thing is that now when I buy fabric, I'm like, hey, I know exactly what I'm going to do with that, and I do it. Okay, right. I mean, I can. If if you'd allow me a minute, Lynn, I'd love to tell a story about. Sure. uh, Yeah. Okay. Great. So there's a man named Nick Nanton, and he and another fellow called J. W. Dix own a company called Celebrity Branding U. And yeah, I've they're heard out of, of him. yeah. Yeah. So they're out of Florida and I was on a webinar about a year ago and instead of people in the chat box on the webinar talking about the subject, everybody was talking about Nick's shirt. Typically <laughs> Nick is a very, very well dressed man and certainly okay. he was that day, but the shirt that he wore looked horrible on camera. So ah, okay. down the front placard of which is where the buttons are done up, down the front placard of this shirt, there were all different colors of plaid. And the black and white one was about four inches long and just stood out like a sore thumb. And so people just <laughs> talked about this and like, what is going on? And for those of you who don't know Nick, he's he gives off a wonderful energy. Like he's just a fabulous speaker and a very generous man. And I thought in about five and a half seconds, I thought to myself, wait, I could get his attention. I could make him a shirt. So mm-hmm. I went to the I went to the fabric store. I had a gift card, and I went to the fabric store and I got fabric for a men's shirt, and I got a pattern for a man's shirt, and I sewed him a shirt, and I knew that he was real interested in music, and so Uh the the fabric itself was a black fabric with sort of light green and blue dots down it, and on the inside of the cuffs and collar, I chose a different fabric, and it was a gray background with black uh, musical instruments, Uh and so I did that, and then I had, uh, I don't do buttonholes because I'm not good at them. So I had a friend do the buttonholes for me, and instead of being either horizontal or vertical, I had her put them on a diagonal. (laughs) And I designed Uh uh, a pair of cufflinks that were treble clefts. 
And so uh-huh. I made this shirt, and I packed it up, and I sent a note with it, and I said, Nick, I really need some help with this in my business, but I can't afford your services. And uh-huh. I wonder if you'd give me half an hour of your time. And I told him a little bit about my story. And I sent it down to Florida, and I think one of the neatest things that happened in that that whole process was when I took the package to the mailbox or the to the post office rather, the gentleman looked down and he said, "Well, that's the nicest package we've seen all year." <laughs> and it was interesting because something else that I've learned in this process of getting rid of stuff is that I now have time to refine things. So I didn't just put it in a bag and wrap it up. I went and bought a really nice black box to put it in and special tissue paper, and I wrapped it all up. And I got black wrapping paper, and I got green washi tape, and this thing looked like a masterpiece. So Uh when it arrived to him, I wanted him to want to open it. Uh And he opened it and sent me an email and said, my assistant Mandy will get in touch with you. I'll speak to you next week. Uh And Nick very generously gave me half an hour of his time. And when I got on the phone with him that morning, his daughter had, I don't know if she'd broken his glasses or something had happened with his daughter, and he was out doing something, and he still made the time to talk to me. Mm -hmm. And that was an incredible thing because that was an experience that I now get to tell a story about. So here I was, I had no idea if he was going to say yes, and here I am spending, it took me about 12 hours to sew the shirt. You know, I'd never done Mm -hmm. a men's shirt, and I guess the size. Never met this man in my life. He had no idea who I was. And... Here he was generous enough to give me half an hour of his time, and he didn't have to do that. And so I had the experience of sewing something new for the first time, letting somebody else help me because I couldn't do the buttonholes myself, sending a package that gave the man at the post office something to talk about, and then a really cool package landing on Nick's desk. Mm -hmm. So it was so much more than just sew a shirt, get a phone call, because the things Mm -hmm. he told me in that phone call made a huge difference for me and my business too. So I created an experience for him, and he created one for me. And that was an amazing moment. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we'll we'll head to our next break right now. And when we come back, um, I want to talk more about um, the idea of the experience, because I don't think we've, you know, really focused in on that yet. So uh, let's do that that right after the break. contribution that you dream of making in society planned giving seems to be presented as something you do once you're incredibly wealthy or planning your estate step right with Lynn focuses on good money management and planning your contribution at every step based on the issues important to you learn how to expand the goodness around you and take responsibility for the issues important to you tune in for step right with Lynn every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time 8 a.m. Central Time, 7 a.m. Mountain Time, and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on a AtoZen.fm. Is there a contribution that you dream of making? In society, planned giving seems to be presented as something you do once you're incredibly wealthy or planning your estate. Step Right with Lynn focuses on good money management and planning your contribution at every step based on the issues important to you. Learn how to expand the goodness around you and take responsibility for the issues important to you. Tune in for Step Right with Lynn every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Central Time, 7 a.m. Mountain Time, and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on AtoZen.fm. Welcome back. 
welcome back to our show today. It's called In Pursuit of the Good Life, and I'm with my fascinating guest, Alyssa Light. Um, <clears throat> Alyssa, so we've been talking about um, stuff versus experiences, and I get the mm-hmm. idea that it's um, stuff maybe versus experiences and relationships. Can you tell us more about um, you know, about the difference? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that if you have $10 and you have a choice about what to do with it, that choosing to spend that money on an experience either with yourself so that you can build your own relationship with yourself or an experience with somebody else, maybe it's you have a friend that you haven't seen in ages and you show up with coffee as a surprise. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's you go to Michael's and buy a tie-dye kit and give a child the experience of tie-dyeing t-shirts for their birthday instead of giving them another toy. I think that choosing, if you're going to choose to buy stuff, have it stuff that creates an experience. And I think that that in itself, if if we did more of that, if we gave experiences as gifts and we had and taught our children and our young people that experiences are much more valuable than stuff, then I think that some of the mental health issues that are in our society would be relieved. And I say that not as a professional, and I need to to qualify that, but as somebody who's experienced that. And when I started giving experiences to kids and to family members as gifts instead of giving them stuff, my relationships grew and deepened in ways that I was I was fearful of. I mean, I didn't necessarily want to get that close to another person. What if... What if they said something bad or what if they judged me? And and not that I don't have that fear anymore, but my fear now is so under control because mm-hmm. the time that we spend together is so rich. I mean, my my mother and I are up at our cottage right now and we have a very small cabin in the Muskokas and it's off a logging road, so it's water access, and people think, oh, it must be this big, glamorous place with this huge boat that you take to get there. And the reality is when we have two solar panels and two outhouses in case one isn't enough, and we have a little you know, 14-footer or 12-footer tin boat, that's what we have. And the time that I spend here with her it surpasses anything else that I could do with her or give to her. You know, going to the grocery store isn't as exciting as playing boggle or playing cards. And these are the things that I have learned to love over time and Mm -hmm. come to really value. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, my mom is, you know, in her mid-60s. And, you know, knowing that I'm not going to have a mom forever is a really painful thing. And knowing Mm -hmm. now that I can create memories, even if it's playing the same game over and over again and laughing together, I would Mm -hmm. rather have that then take that $10 and spend it on anything but gas to get up here. <laughs> and I, and I guess there you know there is a big push out there the idea that the nice car is going to make us happy or the um you know there's all kinds of advertising out there that this product, you know, you have to have it because you know your happiness is going to come from ownership of this or that. And I think that what you're what you're teaching here, or uh, you know, your experiences, are the opposite of that. Yeah, and I I mean I would like to speak to that because 
there's a couple of interesting things that you just said. One of them is people think they need fancy cars. Let's let's speak directly to cars, but I'd like everyone listening to think about whatever that fancy thing is they want to own. There are right. some cases where you need a large vehicle. If you have six kids, you need a large vehicle. If you have four kids, right. maybe you need a large vehicle. You know, if you happen to transport things often, maybe you need a large vehicle. And maybe you need to buy a high-end vehicle, and that's an appropriate thing to do because doing that now will save you money later on repairs. Mm -hmm. So there are times when spending more money is appropriate. You know, the best, having the best, it's sometimes required. If we mm -hmm. didn't have the best system for recording this, other people wouldn't be able to enjoy it later. True. So yeah. there are times when that's appropriate. And you know what? There are times when it's not. I recently heard that one of the top car manufacturers has the most recalls and breakdowns of any other of any of the car brands out there. And it's right. one that people desire. And I'm thinking to myself, huh, I drive a 10-year-old Echo. <clears throat> I've had the front and back brakes done a couple of times because I drive a lot and the spark plugs, and I've had some new tires, but ultimately, I have 310,000 kilometers, and my muffler just went for the first time. Mm -hmm. You know, yep. do we really need to look fancy? Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that's most amazing about that is, is not that I have a 10-year-old car. It's that when I go into high schools and I talk to kids who are really interested in having the fanciest thing ever, mm -hmm. and I tell them I drive a 10-year-old car, and they hear about some of the success I've had, it makes them think. Maybe I don't need the fanciest thing. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. ultimately is where I think we need to start, is with our young people. I think that's where we need to start and, and yeah. instilling in them that, yes, there are times when you need the best thing for the mm -hmm. job. Absolutely. I would hate for my mechanic to have tools that are broken fixing my car. I would like yeah. him to have the best. I'm glad he buys from Snap-on. Right. Know? So, so I think that there are appropriate times. Yeah, for part part of the message there again is is around the the planning. I mean, this show is all about planning everything. Um, you know, so it's it's to not just you know buy into something without giving it some thought, without doing some planning, without doing some research on you know and thinking this thing through. And I think sometimes owning the the fancy car may may come with some debt as well, um, mm -hmm. which may not be. And and sometimes it's appropriate. You know, if if you want to to, um, I'm not against you know buying a car and uh, and and making payments on that car Certainly if not. those payments fit into your budget easily that it doesn't cause you stress. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But if if we're if we need to have you know, our garage full of stuff, um, you know, and then we're making payments on that, then, you know, there's a whole added piece of stress and perhaps, you know, we we got the, we, we got a good feeling when we got that thing, but there may be more stress and possibly some guilt that comes along with that. And, you know, again, it can become that spiraling thing. Mm -hmm. Well, you think about how many people or joke about, oh, I'm just going to keep that in my trunk or take the tags off before I go home or uh, I'll wait till my partner is not here right now and then I'll bring it in and then just say, yeah. oh, you never noticed? You know, yeah. these are things that I've read and heard about and seen and some of which I've experienced myself. And when we choose to plan, then there's none of that. There's no hiding. Yeah. It's just like, hey, there's nothing to cover up and I don't have to worry about anything. 
Right. So I think if people are experiencing that sort of compulsive nature, then you can actually plan for that. I mm. and, and what I suggest people do is take whatever their budget is. So let's say that they have $50 to spend at an event that they'd like to go to. Mm-hmm. Then they take that $50 and don't plan what they're going to do with it before they get there, but let themselves be compulsive with the $50. Right. And so they learn that they can actually have the best of both worlds. That right. spontane- spontaneity and planning go together. Right, right. Because we're not suggesting, you know, that <clears throat> that a life becomes so structured that there is no spontaneity. So, you know, that is a good. Um, but mm-hmm. you're plan, you know, you're kind of planning for your your yeah. bit of spontaneity. I think that's I think that's great advice. Yeah, ironically, Lynn, I think that I've had more freedom in my spontaneity since I started uh, creating systems and structures, uh-huh. and a lot and freedom in the sense that I can do more. But I also don't have the sort of emotional drag of, oh, what's going to happen when I get home? I'm going to have so much to do, that sort of thing, because it's already looked after. Right. So it's uh, it's a wonderful thing. And that's also what I teach my clients to do inside a system that I've designed for them. Mm-hmm. And it's created a lot of freedom and a lot of profit and a lot of joy for a lot of business owners. And mm-hmm. that's been a really wonderful thing to see in see happen in other people and manifest it in bigger ways. Right, right. So tell us more about that. So I have a system. I was recommended by one of my mentors that I use my last name, Light, in my mm-hmm. business branding. Mm-hmm. And so what I have done is designed a system called the Shine System. And mm-hmm. it's a six-step system that takes people and businesses from wherever they are, stuck, to profitable and moving within a short period of time. And often, you know, there's a man named Eben Pagan, and he's a sort of an online marketing guru. And something that he says is that business is often counterintuitive, and life is too. So instead of starting with, you know, social marketing and and that sort of thing with people, I take them all the way back to the beginning. So what is it you want to accomplish? And that often ironically comes after people have set up a website. Well, I'm just going to set it up and see what happens. Well, probably nothing's going to happen. And so we start very like all the way back to basics. And what I do is I sit at my computer and I sit with my clients and they brain dump. And they just say anything they want to and I keep typing. And I type until they stop talking <laughs> and then I pause and I look at them and then they start talking again. And there are some people who will talk for over an hour. And uh-huh. by the end of it, they realize, wow, I wanted to do something that I either didn't realize or was too afraid to say. Uh And so that's where we start. And then we build whatever their desires are from there. And sometimes Mm. their businesses take very different directions than what they would expect, very Mm -hmm. different directions. So it's it's a wonderful thing. So that's where we start. And then we talk about how it is that we're going to tell people what they're up to or what we're up to because when I – meet with a client or when I start with a client, I say to them, we're a team. You know, Mm -hmm. no, I don't work for you, but we work together and we're a team. So what are we going to tell people about what you do? And Mm -hmm. that may seem like a really simple thing, but coming up with words that don't confuse people, that they're sharing is a very difficult thing. That sentence that you read at the beginning, Alyssa works with teams who want to generate more victories, um, Mm -hmm. that sentence took me eight months to come up with. Mm-hmm. And it was only after I had met somebody called Lois Kramer at the uh, National Speakers Association Conference in America that I realized how important that was. And 
Lois has been a huge, we haven't kept in touch, but I have some of her material and it has really kept me going. And so we, you know, really taking that, what do, what do you say about what you do? And then how do you package what you do? Mm-hmm. You know, and so if we look at that from a, a personal standpoint, there are three more steps to the process, but, you know, if we look at that from a personal standpoint, number one, w- what am I trying to accomplish? Well, I'm trying to, you know, get rid of stuff, go see my dad more, you know, get into teacher's college, whatever it is. So, right. all right, that's the goal. Now, how are you going to tell people that's what you're doing? Because I want to go to teacher's college, as an example, inevitably gets the the hearing or the the listening of people going, do you know how many teachers don't have jobs? You know, mm-hmm. so how do you tell people what you want to do in a way that has them listen to you differently? You know, mm-hmm. I, I heard of a teacher once, and I always tell this story. I heard of a teacher once who didn't get into teacher's college the first time she applied, which is no big surprise. And so she applied again. What do you think happened, Lynn? Um, what do you think happened? Again, she got declined? Absolutely. So what did she yeah. do? What do you think she did? Nothing. Yeah, she called them every day for a year until they let her in. <laughs> so that's a different kind of listening when somebody is that determined. Yeah. That's a different kind of listening. And, you know, and then what she did was she created programs that students absolutely loved and she wound up as teacher of the year about 5 years after she started. Cool. So ultimately, it it's what you do with what it's what you say about what you want to do and then what you do about what you want to do that makes a difference because right. talking about something and not taking action all you're going to do is spin your wheels and dig yourself a hole in the ground have you ever seen a shark stuck in the mud that's somebody mm-hmm. not taking action and just talking about what they want to do and then wondering mm-hmm. why things aren't changing right so hmm. the first step really is courage like choosing yeah. courage Mm-hmm. And I had a client last year who, a new client, and we did a makeover on their store. It's the Creative Sisters Quilt Studio in Kitchener. Mm-hmm. And they're located on Lancaster Street. And we did a store makeover for them. And we did it in eight days. And I think we figured that it was something like 800 or 900 man hours in eight days. Wow. And so many people believed in this. I mean, we had our rep, Sheila O'Hagan, from one of the uh, distributors, the textile distributors, she came yeah. and helped us fold fabric on her own time because wow. she was so excited about this. Cool. And that ultimately has changed that store around. I mean, mm-hmm. first of all, they're two of the most extraordinary ladies I've ever met. Linda and Brenda are the owners, their sisters, and they are mm-hmm. extraordinary people. They have one of the most cohesive teams I've ever worked with. And everybody was on board because it wasn't about the money. It was about it being a center of the community. And it has been. I mean, they're, they have 2,500 customers. Wow. And those women love, mostly women. There are a few men who come and shop, forgive me. The people that come and shop there, they know them by name. Mm-hmm. They take classes. They make a huge difference for these people who come into their store. Right. And that's about an experience. So this store, this, the, them going through the Shine system, Lynn, had nothing to do with them wanting to make more money, although ultimately it has. It right. was about creating them as the center or, or having them be the center of the quilting community in the area. And as a result, people have experiences that will last forever. People walk out of that store with fabric that are gonna, that's going to be in a quilt on a bed for the next 100 years. And then yes. everyone's going to tell a story about it. Yeah. So it's not about the customer that comes in and sews a quilt. It's about all of the people that are going to receive all of the gifts that those quilters make. 
That's right. That's what it's about. And Mm -hmm. being a part of that transformation was one of the most, I have goosebumps all over my arms, was one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had in all my life. Seriously. And we worked our tail off that week. I was there 90 hours that week. (laughs) Because it didn't matter what it took. I gave my word that this was going to be incredible and then said, we're a team. And we did it together. Cool. The staff pitched in. Some of the staff were there till 10 o'clock at night. You know, we all worked together because it was about community. And ultimately, it made more money, which is fabulous, too. And the motivation is totally different, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like to put to put in those hours, the the, the motivation is totally different when you, absolutely when everybody's on side and knows why they're doing it. Absolutely, yeah. Tell us what are some of your favorite life experiences? We've been talking about experiences here. We don't have a lot more time, but let's let's hear a, a bit about that. I'll, I'll I'll I have a couple written down here that I wanted to share with you. Um, I worked at a Big Brothers Big Sisters camp for a couple of summers as the program director. And I had uh, $0.91 per week per child to run our programs. Wow. That that was what I was allotted. And we had 60 to 80 kids a week. And so I had to get really creative about what we were going to buy. Now, you know, certainly different programs had different allotments of money, uh, but that was what I had for our sort of overall programming. And one week, it was our youth week. It was the last week of camp. I had $14 left in my budget. And I thought, I don't know what the heck I'm going to do here, but something amazing has to happen. So the children arrived on, on Sunday afternoon. They arrive on the bus about 3 o'clock, and at 1 o'clock, uh, the staff all have a meeting. And what I said to the staff that afternoon was, tell all the kids that the space chickens are coming. <laughs> and the staff were like, and just uh, for reference, my camp name is Twist, so the kids don't know what our names are. We all have camp names, so I have Twist. And so the staff yeah. were saying to me, Twist, what do you mean the space chickens are coming? I said, I can't tell you, but on Wednesday the space chickens are coming. The truth was at this point I had no idea what what we were going to do. Okay, look, I had no idea. But I knew that I was making up this game because the universe was like, hey, let's have space chickens. And I was like, okay, universe. And with 100 buckets, or 100 buckets of Jello uh-huh. and 800 paper bags and about 30 pounds of flour, we ended up having one of the most exciting games we've ever had. So oh first we had a jello fight. Like I told the kids that the, the space chickens wanted to share their food with them, and so all the staff dressed up as space chickens, and we had a 100-person jello fight. And it's like 7 o'clock at night in the middle of summer. It's hot, it's sticky, and yep. we're covered in jello. And then we raced to the soccer field after where I had had the staff drag canoes onto the soccer field and fill them with water. And so we left the paper bags by the um, – by the canoes, and the kids had to yeah. fill up paper bags with water and smash each other with them. Oh, and neat. then uh, what they didn't know was that I went to the kitchen, and the chef, her name was Nutty. Um, Nutty and I filled up 85 paper bags with flour, and they were the same-looking paper bags as the kids were playing with. So oh. on cue, when there's this huge fight going on with you know water and jello and stickiness and 100 people and children and whatnot, the staff all ran over and grabbed bags full of flour and started whacking the kids with them. And then it was like a giant paper mache fight. And, you know, it it ultimately had nothing to do with the fact that I had $14 left or anything like that. It had to do with the fact we're still talking about that almost Mm -hmm. 10 years later. We still talk about it. And I ran the game again at the Ontario Camp for the Deaf a couple of years ago. And it was 
hilarious. I mean, yeah. it was beyond hilarious. And so these are the things that I mean, these are the things that you can do when you get really creative and really interested in what can happen and not be judgmental about wh- some of the thoughts that run through your head. So right. I tell my clients, don't get it right, just get it out. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. We just got it out and we had so much fun. And that yeah. don't get it right, just get it out has made so many people so much money through my programs and made such a difference for people who are creating experiences for their customers that mm-hmm. I can't wait to see what people are going to come up with next. Cool. Mm-hmm. We've just got a couple of minutes left. What would you like to share with with our listeners? What if they uh, need more information? Um, what would you like to leave with them with in the last couple of minutes here? Yeah, thank you for that uh, question, Lynn. I am launching a couple of programs in the fall. One of them is a relatability program. So, you know, there are 15 or 16 different reasons why people buy, and creating uh, relationships with people are, are ultimately what creates business. And mm-hmm. so I have a program launching about that. I'm putting my Shine system online, and then I have uh, a couple of other things happening too. And if people want more information, they can go to my website, which is alyssalight.net, A-L-Y-S-S-A-L-I-G-H-T.net. There's a blue button on my homepage. They can click on that if they're interested in programs. Leave their email address, and I will send out information in July about those. That's terrific. And I'm also uh, launching my new website on Friday, so they can also check that out on Friday. It'll look a lot different than it does today. Right. So the only um, the only uh, tricky part about your website is the spelling of Alyssa, so give that to us again. Yeah, it's A-L-Y-S-S-A, last name Light, L-I-G-H-T, and it's .net, N-E-T. Perfect. Thanks so much for being with us today. Loved it. Thank you so much for your time. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of fun and lots of good information. So thanks so much. You're welcome. So I'd like to remind you to be with us again next week. Uh, remember about those uh, the workshop that uh, Lisa Rayom and I are um, putting on, though there's still room to uh, Register for those, lynn at stepright.ca, L-Y-N-N at stepright, S-T-E-P-R-I-G-H-T. Uh, this is Lynn Wadham. The show is Step Right with Lynn. Until next time, take the right steps to support yourself, your family, and your community. Thank you for choosing to listen to Step Right with Lynn. Lynn Wedham will return next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Mountain, and 6 a.m. Pacific on AtoZen.fm. We hope you'll join us. Remember to celebrate your wealth by doing something for yourself, your family, and your community. Until next time.